think about the goodness of God. And my wife kind of dropped this idea into my heart last night, and I came in this morning early and looked through, and I couldn't find the last two years of the ACMR report, but I would guesstimate, judging from the others, that since this building was put up, that there are over 200 people who found Christ as Savior, made decisions to be saved. I remember Andy in the early days saying when we were building this pastor, I can't wait to see who the first person is to get saved at Calvary at the new building. Uh, there were probably over 50 water baptism, 50, 60, again, I'm estimating the last few years, and uh, Holy Spirit baptisms probably 90 to 100. And I think God has given, given us a fruitful ministry, and I thank God for what He has done. You know, today, instead of having like a three-point message and you know, I, I really felt led to just share my heart today, and I hope you'll bear with me with this because there's a lot of memories that are very deep and emotional for me. You know, uh, there is that great crowd of witnesses watching over us, and uh, the title of my message is Birth Points, and uh, the story behind that is probably around 18 years ago, Pastor Roger Whittem, uh, first youth pastor, was here with me to serve, and we attended a winter retreat at Spencer Lake that the district was putting on, and there was a speaker there in January Dale Oquist, who was a pastor of a very large church, and he shared a message and taught a message on birth points in the local church. And as he shared different birth points in his church and where it came from just a handful of people to uh, several thousand people and explained that through the years he could look back and see a birth point, that something happened in that time that substantially changed. It changed something, the dynamic, the current, the status quo, and suddenly that church took off and was propelled forward. And the birth points are a series of periodic events that propel the church forward into new growth and territory for the expansion of the local church and the kingdom of God for future generations, laying a foundation for the future. And Calvary Church's history includes a number of birth points going all the way back to January of 1927 at its founding. And through the years, God would call a generation of leaders, a new generation of leaders and members to sacrifice to propel that church forward into new growth and influence in the local community and throughout the world. Our influence is spread throughout the world. And I thank God for that, for the fruit of this ministry, of this church, that this church has given birth to pastors, other pastors and teachers, evangelists and uh, missionaries, and I thank God for the fruit of this. You know, back in uh, the year, uh, several points up here, Pastor Hugo Olson led the church to affiliate with the Assemblies of God in 1938, and in 1948, the church reached general council status, which is a wonderful hallmark to come to. And a beautiful new and modern building was dedicated to the Lord on November the 4th, 1957 at 3036 Kearney Avenue. That was a beautiful, modern building, relevant uh, to the community, and there was great celebration at that time. And a large addition was added in between 1985 and 1986, the wings of the church and new classrooms downstairs and restrooms. Uh, the congregation uh, de dedicated in uh, May 21st, 1995, a new fellowship hall. Uh, to the glory of God. And I would say without that fellowship hall, the church would have been stunted in its growth. But because it was there, we were allowed to expand and to grow. And then the congregation moved to its new location at W1498 Highway on 64 here uh, in uh, Peshigo Township, was dedicated to the Lord for the glory of God. 
and the expansion of the kingdom on October 18, 2015, just six years ago. Isn't that awesome? I remember when we dedicated uh, this building and this land for the glory of God and the expansion of his kingdom as we dug the foundation symbolically. And the Holy Spirit put it on my heart to get a bottle of oil. And he said, this church, the foundation of this church will be dedicated to being unashamedly Pentecostal. It'll be dedicated to open the door to the anointing and the moving of the Holy Spirit. And we did that in the foundation of this building. And I thank God for that. All of these things and more were observed by the great crowd of witnesses in heaven that are watching us. They watch us as we have been given our promised land. We call it our promised land here uh, at the current location in Pestigo Township. I remember when Doris Grinsteiner, after we were turned down from adding on to our building in Marinette, she came to me and she said, I had a dream. And I said, what is your dream? Now, Doris, you know, doesn't have weird dreams, okay? She's a pretty stable person that I trust. And she had a, a word of the Lord through the dream. And she said that I saw a church, a beautiful church on the blacktop or on the highway. And she said, I asked God, well, God, that's a beautiful church. Whose church is it? What church is it? And he said, that's Calvary. And she said, oh, Lord, it's beautiful. She described it. And, and in that time of loss, when the enemy had come against us and the door was shut where we were, God opened up a greater door. And we took possession of this land. And I remember that prayer meeting. She told me, I asked her, so where's the church at? She said, it's in Pestigo. And I thought, okay, you know, we're not moving to Pestigo. I didn't say that out loud, but I said, thank you, uh, Doris. Thank you for that. And uh, we moved on. Uh, it was later uh, when we were up here after we bought this land, hadn't even closed on it yet. We came up for a prayer meeting up here. Pastor Mike and I with the prayer team brought the 15-passenger van, and we drove up here for a prayer meeting. A barn and a grain silo was left on the land still. The new house was already almost done. And we were up here walking on the hill, the sand hill. We were praying. And Doris came over all excited, and she said, Oh, Pastor, this is the land. I recognize the trees, and everything is the way it was in my dream, uh, except for the church isn't here yet. And, uh, and all of a sudden, I thought, but you said Pestigo. And all of a sudden, I realized, this is Pestigo Township. And I thought, God, you know better than I do. I mean, he's smarter than me, as Nick likes to say. We, we who were taken captive, and I've been taken captive by a vision that God had put into our heart and the promises of God, uh, we saw this afar off. We believed God. We trusted God for it. And I think oftentimes there were discouraging things that came uh, through difficulty with the city of Marinette and difficulty here. And we longed for it, though, and we prayed for it. And, and in order for this to happen, we all sacrificed for it. I want to tell you, sacrifice given to the Lord is not, does not fall to the ground. God notices. God puts it into our heart when we buy into the vision that he has for the church, for the local church. And when people buy into that vision, God moves their heart to give greater time, talent, and treasure than they ever dreamed they would ever do. This is God who did this. He did it through his people. He didn't send angels to do it. He sent us to do it. And we who are obedient, this has come to pass. We partnered really with God. 
We partnered with him for this miracle to take place. We laid hold of it in prayer, and now we occupy the land and the place that God has given to this church. We needed a place to grow, a place not just to survive, but a place that we could thrive, a place for a foundation for future generations of Calvary Church worshipers and discipleship makers to house our ministry. See, buildings one day are going to burn when Jesus, when the Lord burns the heavens and earth and recreates the new heavens and earth. So this building isn't for eternity, but it is going to last until Jesus comes. I truly believe that. And, and, you know, there was advice during this time of the capital campaign and the planning of this building uh, by well-meaning people, you know, people who love Jesus, and they just, you know, it's interesting... That some of the advice you get, and 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 uh, in beginning the journey towards a major relocation building strategy, uh, one very intelligent and accomplished brother told me uh, of of a leadership book that he had recently read. This, this guy, he's really smart. I mean, really, really smart. And he's not a part of our church, but you know, he came and he downplayed the emphasis. He read this book, recommended a book that downplayed the emphasis of church buildings as a priority. And he said, Pastor Tim, something like this, maybe you should rethink whether God is calling you to spend all that money on a building with the signs of the times pointing to Christ's return. Maybe you should put all of those dollars into missions and other ministries before Jesus comes back. And you know, I, I recently heard uh, online at my son-in-law's church in North Dakota, a very prominent traveling evangelist, or pastor actually, but he travels and speaks all over the world. And he recently said, you know, when he's talking about the building and complimenting my son-in-law and the beautiful building that God put into their hands and dedicated to the Lord, and they're getting ready to buy more land uh, to expand on uh, because their church is, is full again and uh, their new building is full. And, and he said, you know... Uh, Everywhere in the world, except America, he said, American pastors and churches seem to be a little embarrassed by having nice buildings. He said, they apologize for them. And it's like, oh, well, the building's not really important. You know, we're, t- you know, and he said, just in America. But he said, overseas, when I travel overseas into third world countries, pastors and leaders in churches overseas are saying, brother, we need to get a permanent meeting place. We need a building to house our ministries. They long for it. They don't apologize for it. And I didn't apologize for this. I thanked the brother kindly and said, you know, um, uh, he recommended the book. I never read the book, by the way. I just thought I'm not going to waste my time because I know what God had put into my heart, that he had birthed a vision in my heart, that he showed me what it was going to be. And, and uh, with all the obstacles and all the roadblocks that would come in the way, we kept towards that vision. Uh, you know, uh, we need to press on to what God has for the future. Very early on in our journey towards planning and raising awareness for the need for the building, some people, well, and, you know, they were wise, in, you know, and we need to think about things like that and, and that the economy at that time was tanking. You know, we had a recession and, you know, this just maybe is not the right time. And I went to the Lord. I did pray about it. I went to the Lord and, and, and I asked God, well, what about that? You know, the economy is bad and what if we borrow money and we get into trouble and, and I was praying, and I was pouring my heart out to God, and I'll never forget the word of the Lord just pierced in my heart. Now, you, was it spoken? I don't know. It was just came to me, and the Holy Spirit said, don't worry about that. I'm going to make Marinette and Menominee an oasis in the desert economically. Don't worry about that. And I immediately, I didn't know, and I, I reluctantly, I wasn't going to, but I 
week or two later, I spontaneously shared that with the congregation, just said, you know, this is what I heard the Lord say. John Blair leaped out of his seat when I came off the platform that morning. You remember John, good brother, used to be a deacon here, and John ran up, ran up to me. He, was, he said, Pastor, are you aware that uh, about Marinette Marine is bidding and trying to get the contract on building the littoral combat ship, and we'll, if they get the contract, we're going to double in size, employees, and and, and I said, no, I, I was not aware of that. I did not know that. And he said, well, that's, that's what, you know, we're getting down the wire. It th- looks like we might get it. Well, they did get it. And at the same time, many of the other industries were taking off in Marinette Menominee at that time, and God proved himself. He knows what he's doing. If we're in the timing of God, nothing is going to stop us from accomplishing what he calls us to do. I remember the next... Uh, uh, time, you know, there were other things that were done. Another uh, time there, after the process uh, had been moving forward, and I, I was kind of hit with sticker shock. And uh, this was uh, January through March, you know, about that time, and prices just seemed to get higher. The, you know, I kept hoping for about 700, 750, I was very naive, uh, 1,000 to, <clears throat> to borrow, and ended up, okay, God, I'll settle for 900. Okay, God, a million, but no more. And and the price kept going up. I, I, I was concerned, and January through February, our attendance had dropped after packing them in over there. And I told God, how can I cast vision? I was in prayer. You ever talk to God like this? How can I cast vision to build a building when, when our attendance has dropped off? And, and our finances didn't, but our attendance dropped off. And, and how are we going to afford to build it? And God spoke to me again. And was it, ver- I don't know. It just, it came into my spirit, into my soul. And, and it was, it came like this, don't worry about it. I'm going to send people in to help you. And all of a sudden, within the next few weeks, man, the church was just packed full, and there was a whole bunch of new families over the next six to nine months that came in. And some of them, like Marlo and Sue, they looked ahead. They knew we were in a building program. I said, you came to, to our church before we built the building. Didn't you know you are going to be asked to give money for it? You know, I mean, some people say, I'll wait till you're done. And they served and helped build this building as volunteers out there. You know, Marlo and some others did the wall out there and did the things in the nursery, some of the things in there, and just made a huge difference here. What a powerful thing it is. God honors his word, doesn't he? When he calls us to do something great, it's outside of our own abilities. But God will give us the resources to accomplish what he calls us to do. He equips us to do what he calls us to do. In our text, I'm going to read a te- scripture text here in just a moment, but it's taken from uh, the time in uh, ancient Israel. It was a potential birth point that would, would have propelled them forward into the purposes of God for that generation and to set the next generation up for success. And that's exactly what my heart has been from the time I've been here 20 years ago was, God, I don't know how long I'm going to be at Calvary, but I want to set the next generation pastor and leaders and congregation up for success. I want to leave the church when I leave, leave a foundation that they can build on, that they won't have to reinvent the wheel because I didn't do my job. See, I think that should be the goal of every pastor is to do what, you have, what God calls you to do in that season of time and you'll set the next pastor up for success. The opportunity for Israel came after they'd received deliverance from over 400 years of slavery in Egypt And they were brought to the shores of the Jordan River, ready to cross over into the promise. From God's will was from slavery to inheriting the promised land. God's will was that. So they sent 12 spies 
one from each tribe of Israel, to spy out the land and bring back a report to the nation, to the leaders. And when they did, and the report came back, there were ten negative reports and two positive reports. Can I tell you something I've learned in leadership? It's a leadership principle. The majority is not always right. You know, it's God and one make a, uh, actually God is a, is, a, is a majority, but God and you make a majority if the will of God and the word of God is there. The two who brought back the good report, Joshua and Caleb, said we can surely go over and inherit the land. The others predict dire prediction of utter defeat and humiliation. Their argument was that, yes, the fruit of the land is there and the blessings are there, the harvest is there, it's everything we heard about, it's wonderful land, but there are giants in the land. Giants that are so tall, so big, so strong, why high-walled cities that they make us look like grasshoppers. So because of fear, doubt, and unbelief, that first generation of slaves that God intended to carry right over into the promised land were not allowed to cross over. They were, uh, had to wander through the wilderness until that first generation died, all but Caleb and Joshua. What they did is they propelled the nation to 40 years of wandering in the wilderness instead of inheriting the land. Churches oftentimes do that. They hear a word from the Lord, a pastor does, the leaders do. They have a burden, they have a vision, they believe God has spoken, they heard God's voice. And uh, even though the people think, yeah, we need to do that, but they don't want to sacrifice to do that. And so they nix the plans and does that mean they're not going to heaven? No, they're going to heaven if they trust Jesus. It just means they've missed plan A for their life and for that building. You know, back then I thought about maybe we should wait and save the money for the building. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, you need to do what I called you to do. Okay, you do. And he asked me, he said this, and this is a compliment to this church. Why do you think that I have placed so many tens so many talented people with so many high skills into this little church. And I looked around, I thought, man, we do have a lot of tens here. We got people who are a lot smarter than I am. And the other thing he showed me at the, the aging of some of our great saints of God, and he showed me, he says, if you delay this and they miss out on this opportunity to be a part of this, you're going to be held accountable by me. Now, that's, that's how God spoke to me. And I thought about Marge, I, I kept telling you, Marge, don't you go anywhere because we want you there. You and your mother are pictured in front of the old 3036 Carney at the dedication and she's up there, a little girl, and, and uh, I want you to be here as well. And I want you here for phase two, Marge, so don't be thinking about slipping off for us, but that's in God's hands, of course. Uh, but it was a birth point, and had they received what God said, it would have propelled that generation forward for the blessing of the next generation. The next generation comes along, though, and they had a different spirit than the first generation. The first generation had been delivered from slavery and bondage of 400 years, but even though they were free, they still fought like slaves. They were still in bondage in their heart and their mind. They still felt like, felt like they were the tail and not the head. And God has called his people to be the head and not the tail. He's called us to move forward into the fray of the battle. He will go before us as he promised Israel he would do, and he will make a way for us to succeed against insurmountable odds and impossibilities because he delights in showing his power in weakness. 
That next generation, they hungered for the fulfillment of the inheritance of the promised land. They wanted it so bad they could almost taste it. And God gave powerful calling, a powerful calling and commission to Joshua in chapter 1 when he said in verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. A new day has come, in other words. It's a new day in Israel. He was a great man of God. He was a lawgiver. He was the deliverer. But Joshua, he says, it's time for you to step up to the plate. He said, the time has come. Would you say the time has come? The time has come. It is now. It is go time. It's time for you to step up to the plate and do what I've called you. You're going to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land that I'm giving them. You're going to do what the previous generation refused to do. Moses was ready to go, but they wouldn't go. You're going to lead this generation into the promised land. I promise you, and this is God's promises, I promise you what I promised Moses, wherever you set your foot, it will be on the land that I have given to you. Wherever you step your foot, that's what I've given to you. Why do you think we were up here in 2014 walking the length and the breadth of this land, so to speak, figuratively? We were up praying, and we were praying the blessing of God on what would take place in the future on this property. And God brought it to pass. How many know God's a prayer-answering God? Uh, he says, he goes on to say, I will be with you, in verse number 5, I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land. And he says in verse 9, this is my command. It's a command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And I've got to tell you, folks, there were times when I would have fear come to intimidate me. Actually, the buck stops with me. Now, we all did this together. I'm not taking credit for, for any of it. Uh, you know, it's, we did this together with God's help. We partnered with him for a miracle. But the leader, you know, you're stepping out in faith and saying, this is what God tells us we're supposed to do. I believe this with all my heart. And I could look uh, the board members in the face and tell you, I have heard from God. There is no doubt I've heard from God. And you know, that's, uh, that's really sticking your neck out on the line. Because what if you miss God? What if you're wrong and you lead these people down a garden path? What if you lead them into debt and then the debt can't be paid? It's, it's on you because you said you heard from God. You know, I hear that from a lot of people, you know, say, oh, God told me. Well, you know, and God didn't tell them. And so I was sticking my neck out. God, you know, I, I could miss you. God, if I'd step out, Lord. And you know what happened? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, out of the nine manifestational gifts, there's one called the gift of faith. God imparted by the Holy Spirit to my heart, to Pastor Mike's heart, uh, to Pastor Diana, to Pastor Nick, and to the board, a supernatural gift of faith. And when you get that supernatural gift of faith, obstacles, impossibilities mean little or nothing. They're just mere casualties of what God is going to do. They're going to be run over and trodden over the feet of God's people who go forward. And that's exactly what got all the obstacles, all of the pitfalls, all of the intimidations fell by the wayside because we plunged forward. We were not intimidated. We pressed forward. I remember the day that we decided to build this church, and we were in a building committee meeting in my office, and we were trying to decide, well, are we going to build this fall? I mean, this year, are we going to wait till next year? What do we do? And I remember Joel Rennie was the treasurer, and he was looking at the figures, looking at how we had grown in our finances, our general fund over the last three years. I mean, grown significantly. 
new people in the church, and, and he's, the, he's very frugal. He, he's, 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 he's very cautious. He's very prudent, as he should be. And, and uh, Cliff is also very uh, frugal and careful. And I was looking at both of them, all the board, they were in front of, front of my desk in my little office, some off on the sofa, and Joel's sitting on my love seat reading. And all of a sudden, he looks up, he says, I don't see any reason why we can't build now. And Cliff said, that's what I thought. And I thought, if we got those two guys, <laughs> the rest of us, yeah, we can do this. You know? So, I mean, it was a word of faith that we can press through and do this. Uh, you know, the second generation of Israel who wandered through the wilderness longed for a different future for their children than what they had inherited from their parents. They wanted something better for their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. They thought in terms of generations, and that's what a church has to do. We have to think in terms of not what's good for us today, but what's good for tomorrow, because the church, listen, has a future and a hope. This, there are greater things that lay ahead. A church that lives in the past and, and glories in nothing but what they used to do or did do has no future. We have to look beyond, celebrate what God did yesterday, but press on. You know, these, these kind of attitudes I call, and these kind of people I call the Joshua generation. And I just love the Joshua generation in the church of Jesus Christ because there are those who have a Joshua generation. They are members of a church who love their church, love their God, love their church, have a passion for the lost, have a passion for discipling and reaching people for Jesus. And they're the ones who step up to the plate. They're the ones who, like Joshua, when they hear the word of the Lord, it's time for you to step forward, step up to the plate, do what you can do to make a difference. Unlike the first generation of former slaves, this second generation didn't measure the odds of their success by the size of the giants in the land, but rather by the size of their God who promised to go before them and subdue the land and help them to win the victory. They're the generation who long for and seek after the blessing of the inheritance and the fulfillment of the promises of God in their generation. They're the generation who are called to sacrifice their time, talent, and treasure to enrich and set up the future generations for success. And that describes this generation of Calvary Church family. As I shared with you during the capital campaign, the building of this is that I believe that every generation in the church, there's in the season of a church's life, a local church, where there's a generation that God calls to step up to the plate and make extraordinary sacrifices of time, talent, and treasure to set up the next generation for success. And this church, you have moved beyond what is possible in the natural into what is believed. We believe God for the supernatural of all that is possible when God is taken into account. When God planted the seed of vision in our hearts for this land and for the buildings that were built, we stepped out in faith even through, uh, even though in the natural it was near to, if not impossible, to acquire all that we have. And the historic account of the children of Israel's triumph came because they listened to God. They listened to God, they respected God's leaders, and they obeyed His commands. And that is why Calvary is burning its mortgage today after only six years into a 25-year amortization. We stand today living in and enjoying the promised land as Israel did after Joshua generation subdued the land, and Joshua met with the elders of each of the family to dispense the allotted inheritance. They had subdued their enemies. 
There were still enemies in the land that needed to be driven out, but God said, little by little, you'll do that. Here at Calvary, we built the building. The mortgage is paid in full as of last Wednesday, and yet there's still giants in the land that we need to subdue. Okay, there's still obstacles to push through to fulfill all of the God told us to do. We are not finished. God has greater things ahead for us to accomplish in the season of time that we live in. God has called us to greater things. So you know, God has always called His people to greater things. And we stand here today enjoying what God has done through us, in us, and through us. Joshua 13.1 says this, When Joshua was an old man, I don't want to say anything or point anything out obvious, but I'm getting to be an old man. Um, despite my brown hair, I have gray hair. I acquired a lot of gray hair over the years uh, during this project, and I'm not complaining. I'm quite excited about what God has done uh, and what He is going to do. But we have an inheritance that God has given to us that we are going to receive by faith, that we're going to walk into the land and inherit everything that God has for us. Here we have today, as Joshua stood there as an old man, and the Lord said to him, you are growing old, and much land remains to be conquered. There's still land that needs to be conquered. This side of heaven, there's still land to be conquered by every local church. And God has given us a mission and a great commission. He says, Joshua chapter 13, 6, to his congregation, he says, I myself will drive out, excuse me, Caleb said this, when he came for his inheritance, he came standing before Joshua with the elders of his tribe, and he said, I myself, he said, um, I myself will drive out the people from this land ahead of the Israelites, so <clears throat> be sure <clears throat> that this land, give this land to Israel as a special possession, just as I commanded you. And <clears throat> moving ahead of myself, Caleb said to Joshua, remember what the Lord said. Remember what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, about you and me when we were at Kadesh Barnea, when the ten spies came back and gave a negative report. And Joshua said that we came back with a good report. He says, at that time I was 45 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave an honest report. I gave an honest report. And now as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised all these 45 years since Moses made this promise. And even while Israel wandered in the wilderness, he said to this, this today... I am 85 years old. I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. He was a feisty old man. He had a fire that was burning in his belly. And he was 85. He said, you know, I want the land that has giants in it. Verse 12 says, so give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there. They're great walled towns, but the Lord is with me, and I will drive them out of the land just as the Lord said. They were giants in the land. Now, he wasn't afraid of the giants because the size of his God, listen, size of his God towered over the giants. The giants live in the shadow of the Almighty and not in a good way for their destruction. After six years... Six years ago, when Calvary moved into the new building, we celebrated having crossed over that river. 
that separated us from the inheritance that we believe God had for us. On October 18, 2015, we dedicated this building to the Lord for the glory of God and for the building of His kingdom and our community and the world. We then possessed the land, and we thrived in this land over the last six years. There was still the giant of mortgage debt, an intimidating giant that towered over us, over $1,550,000 that overshadowed our total victory. From time to time, as time, time to time moved into this building, I remember from the first prayer meeting we had here, I remember, and after that, years went by, where I walked back in front, in the front here, and sometimes I was in here by myself, but I'd walk past over, and I would begin to declare, in the name of Jesus, Lord, that mountain of debt is going to be gone. It's going to be gone. I, I would burden, I interceded, I prayed. I remember going over to that building, as I do still today, and I look out that window at that door, and I, I don't see bare land. I see a building. I see a dedicated worship center. Because God has something greater He's called us to do. I don't know when that's going to happen, but it's going to happen in the name of Jesus. But I remember in, in the, in, in, when I was walking and praying, and I'd say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, Lord, Lord, you move on people's hearts to pay this debt off. We need this paid off, God. This is a mountain of debt. God, we need to get rid of it. Get rid of this debt. I petitioned God. I interceded, and I agreed together with other believers for it. I declared it. I prophesied it. And Cliff remembers, I didn't remember this, but Cliff Combs remembers, he said, Pastor, I remember when you said one time, this debt will be paid off in five years. Well, if I prophesied it, I'm not a prophet because it's six years. Maybe I did it five years ago. Maybe that's when I did it. So maybe I am a prophet. I don't know. Uh, but it took six years, and that's a miracle. In human times, it seems like that's forever, but it's a miracle. The fact is, is the giant of indebtedness has been conquered. The, 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 the mortgage, the $1.5 million mortgage is paid in full as of last Wednesday, October 6, 2021. And I want you to take a look at the last slide up here. The history of Calvary Church mortgage debt. Here we see it. Isn't that awesome? Uh, the red indicates indebtedness. <clears throat> 2015, $1,550,000. In 2017, we sold the old facilities on Kearney for 162000 These are approximate numbers, but pretty close. And so we reduced that down. We were down to uh, 1388000 And then 2000, from 2017 to 21 to the current day, listen, between the excess in the general fund, the tithes, and, and also special gifts, my wife and I gave monthly from the time the capital campaign and uh, to, to reduce the debt and get rid of the debt. And other people did the same thing. Some would give special gifts and everything as well. Uh, you know, a few years back, we took a Jubilee offering that brought in an incredible amount of money that lowered our debt by 20% at that time. But uh, in, in, in one of those Jubilee gifts, the large gift was given by a family that gave with joy in their hearts uh, out of generosity and very humbly and said, this is what God told us to give. I wasn't expecting any of this, although I prayed for it. But sometimes you pray for things, you're just like, okay, God, whatever. I'm just being real. And when that happened, 
and we reduced the debt by 20%. It was down around a million dollars at that time. And we were able to go down to 800,000. And a gentleman took me to lunch and he looked me in the eye with joy on his countenance and a, and a sparkle in his eye. And he said, when you get down to 400,000, my wife and I will pay the last 400,000 off. That promise was received on Wednesday, just a few days ago. And I have a mortgage paper that is going to be burned today because of the faithfulness of God's people. Back when the campaign began, I said, you know, even if you can't, I know there's people on fixed incomes. If all you can give is $1 a month, and I'm not marginalized that. I'm serious. Some people live very, very close because of fixed income. If you can just give a dollar a month, give a dollar a month. God will see that as a sacrifice and he will multiply it. And you will become a part and partake of what we're doing together. You'll be a part of that. And so it's from the lowest gift to the greatest gift. It's when we all pull together in the same direction. Miracles happen. Impossible things take place. Impossible things. And I believe 10,000 years from now, when we're in heaven, we're going to look back on this time on earth as being a time when God did remarkable things in and through his people to bring about great influence of his church in that season of time. God will not forget it. God will not forget it. Being obedient to God pays. The giant of indebtedness has been conquered. And we stand here today a free people from debt. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. Would you give God the glory? I'm going <clears> to... <throat> Isaiah chapter 40... You know, it's supposed to be 47. Nope, here it is. Chapter 46, verses 9 and 10. Remember the things, God says. Remember the things that I have done in the past, for I alone am God. And there is none like me. Only I can tell you the future. Before it even happens, everything I plan will come to pass for whatever I do and for whatever I wish. And I think God is in this. God brought it to pass. God brought it to pass. I'm going to ask the church board members to come forward and the staff to please come forward and join me at my left, to your right, facing it. And as they're coming, I would like to acknowledge the um, Capital Campaign Committee. You see Lisa and Kim did a beautiful job, and you see the old posters that we had for Capital Campaign up on each side. Our Capital Campaign Committee did an incredible job in raising awareness and resources for this. It was myself and Pastor Mike, Andy Lindstead, who was chairman of the committee, Tony Pardee, Jill uh, Jackson, Christy, uh, the, Jill Jackson and Christy Bartz, Joanne Mayer, uh, Jim and Doris Grinsteiner, John Blair, in addition to all the others who gave their time and talent to make the building to equip all generations a success. And we thank God for that and for all that was accomplished uh, because of the Lord. As, uh, would, the, would those people stand up, please, that I may, just named the Capital Campaign Committee? Would you stand, please? Give them a hand. Worship team is coming back. And while the worship team is coming, I would ask that uh, the building committee members would all come forward and stand 
uh, over to my left. Jim, would you come, please, and be a part of that? And uh, Cliff, and I've asked Pastor Curl to join us on the platform, Joel Rennie, and all the others. If you're here, please come forward. I'd like to acknowledge our some of a dear friend of mine, uh, Pastor Cruzy and Meredith. Uh, God bless you. So glad you're here today. Would you give them a hand? Thank you. I have a letter here that I'd like to read, uh, dated September 1st, 2021. Dear pastor and church members, congratulations on the great achievement of, build, of building and paying off your mortgage in six years. Well done. You are an example for the other churches in the Wisconsin Northern Michigan Ministries Network and an encouragement to all of our pastors. May God place his favor on you as you continue to fulfill your mission and calling. Your future is secure as you continue to follow Christ. Signed, uh, John Davis, the superintendent of the network here in Wisconsin, Northern Michigan. So we thank John for his acknowledgement today. Uh, we would like to, uh, on this side of the... Close that, get it out of the way. Um, Pastor Mike has been with me for... Uh, since dirt was invented, I think. He's been about 13 and a half, going on 14 years, and we thank him. Pastor Diane has been here before I was here, but we added her officially to the staff. Nick, you know Nick. He's been around forever. And uh, we thank God for Jim Grinsteiner and Doris, his lovely wife. Thank God for Jill. Uh, but, uh, Jim, you were, uh, man, God used you in an incredible way. And Tony Pardee, our board members, Andy, Joel was on the board at the time, made a huge difference. And Cliff, of course, is a, he's been around forever. Yeah. And uh, we thank God that uh, he is here. He helped to um, be a general contractor along with Tony and overseeing the building of this, made sure it was done right. Amen? And thank God for that. And Pastor Curl, I'm standing right in front of him. Right. And, uh, and, uh, but there, he's here, and he, he's an inspiration to all of us, isn't he? We thank God for him. And uh, as I said, Laura's watching in heaven, and I have a mortgage. Um, I have a seal on it uh, from the notary that it's done. It's paid for. It is over. Would you stand with me, and would you just extend your hands this way? Father, we give you glory and honor and blessing because you have done this through your people. You have raised up a generation, a Joshua generation, who didn't let the giants in the land intimidate them. You, we, you gave us the authority and the power to push through every obstacle, every fear, and everything, and everything that tried to stop us. God, we give you the glory and the honor and the blessing for this accomplishment in the name of Jesus. And we burn this mortgage, Lord, believing you for greater days ahead. Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. I believe that the, the smoke of this mortgage, I believe, is a sweet-smelling incense to the nostrils of God. He sees it as a sacrifice of His people given for His glory and for His honor, and greater days are ahead. We've only just begun. Would you praise God now? Give Him glory. Hallelujah. 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 Would you extend your hands this way? as we pray. Father, thank you for this ceremony, for this time, Lord, that it was empowered by the anointing of the Spirit. 
Lord, it was not an empty ceremony or a religious rite, but Lord, it was grace by the power of God. And we thank you for it. We thank you for each and every one here, those who couldn't be here. Lord, watching on live stream, we pray your blessing on them. Lord, we pray a blessing on our food today, your blessing on the meal and the ceremony that follow. In Jesus' name, would you extend your hands this way? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.